Hello, and thank you for listening to this message from Pastor Gary Ellard here at Grace Bible Fellowship in Front Royal, Virginia. Do we really understand the grace of God? How can that grace apply to our everyday lives? And what is the characteristic of a born-again Christian? Today, Pastor Gary Ellert shows us that the key facet of the Christian life is love, God's love for us, and our love for one another. The subject this morning is love is not an option. Now, I'm going to ask you just to give you a little test, I guess, but you can just answer it in your own mind. What do you feel about the new birth? Um, Do you believe that it normally produces an immediate and radical change in behavior? It's just kind of a true and false. So you can say, well, I think it's true or I think it's false. And is there a difference between accepting Jesus Christ as Savior and accepting him as Lord? So true or false? Have you ever questioned yourself on whether or not you really understand the grace of God? I mean, there's been more books written in the last 25 years on grace than any other subject. So many of you, you've heard about it. It sounds good. And you really want to believe it. Uh, But somehow there's a reality to that belief. And it's kind of difficult for some to see how it applies to everyday life. So what is the characteristic of a born-again Christian? I want us to look at that. So we're going to go to 1 John 1.7. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, I hope that we all believe that we are cleansed of all sin, past, present, and future. Because if we do, then it's, we're capable of walking in the light. If we don't, it gets really confusing about this walking in the light. But how do we walk in the light? By believing that we were given when we were born again, that we were given a new heart and a new human spirit, and then we were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, it's easy for us to walk, excuse me, to walk in in the light if we believe that. It's a little difficult if we don't believe it. When you read the book of Acts, it's recorded that the Christians were of one mind. So I want you to think about this. They all were of one mind. They all accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. They were all Jewish, and yet they were of one mind. 
In 1 John, we're told that we should have fellowship with one another. And the real and only reason for oneness is the common life of Christ that we share. In 1 John, the Bible says here, in 1 John 2.10, the one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. And then the Bible says, whoever denies the son does not have the father. The one who confesses the son has the father also. So here we have it. The one who loves his brother abides in the light. The Christian also must believe in Jesus is God. Whoever denies the Son of God does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. And then we find in verse 28, the Bible says this. Now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, you may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. So the Bible is very clear that we are children of God, because here it says here in verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone, everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. Now, this is describing you and I, every one of us here this morning. You practice righteousness. Now, it can become a little confusing sometimes because when it describes us, we carry within us the risen Christ. And so at our core, we have Christ living in us. At our core, we have the Holy Spirit who has filled us. There's no, there's no more filling. You are complete, the Bible says. You have everything what the, what the Bible says you have. You are complete. You are perfect forever. Forever, the Bible says. It's this belief that changes the substance of our being. This whole, this whole deal about living the Christian life is allowing Christ to live his life in you and through you. So when you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you received everything you needed. The Bible says that you even became a partakers of his divine life. So you received everything. In this belief, we must believe that Christ has what he has done in making us new pertaining to the real me. Now, there's something about living the Christian life that a lot of people don't understand. You see, <clears throat> it has to do with who you really are. In fact, it's the real you. When you accepted Jesus Christ, it's your personality, it's your sense of humor, it's your interests, it's your hobbies, it's your entire self. 
your entire self has been made righteous, clean, and acceptable. And with all of that, you can say as Paul did, for me to live is Christ. I know it's popular to sort of stuff everything down, stuff our personalities. You know, we, we wonder about, in, in the Christian life, there's some folks that say that, you know, you, you need to be careful uh, of how you act and everything and, and uh, what your interests are. And believe me, for 15 years as a preacher, I was one of those who felt that uh, I felt that I shouldn't have a TV because I thought that was the devil's playbox. And for 15 years, I preached about those things, that if you really know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you'll want to do everything to protect you. And it took me years before I found out that we already are protected. We have Christ as our personal Savior who dwells within us and the Holy Spirit. He has filled us. So it's popular to try to stuff all this down. Some people don't like the personality. Maybe they joke too much or whatever it is. But we try to stuff this down. And here's what the average Christian says. He says, it's all of Christ and not me. Anytime they do anything that's good, I mean, it sounds really religious, doesn't it? It's all of Christ. It's none of me. And then you have this other, we have to let go and let God. I mean, there's a lot of times that uh, when people were going through difficulties, you know, and they went to a counselor or they went to their pastor, and the first thing they say to them, well, you know, you're going through something here, but you just have to let go and let God. Well, what does that really mean, to let go and let God? Does that mean that you have to get out of the way? You know, that you need to step aside and let God do his thing? Is that what it really means? God is not seeking to replace us. He's there to embrace us, not to replace us. He loves you. He loves your personality. He loves everything about you, your interests, your hobbies, everything. He loves everything there is about you. God is not seeking to replace us. His desire is to work through that uniqueness, your unique personality. There is nobody like you on the planet Earth. And he wants to work through you as he works in you and through you, through that, that unique personality that you have. That is the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is you can wake up every day and be you. You don't have to try to be anybody else. You can just be you. And God is there to work in you and through you. That's what born again is all about. You are born again. You are made new. I can wake up every day knowing that Christ loves me, know that Christ embraces me, knowing that he is satisfied with me. I mean, that changes your whole day, knowing that God is with you. He's got you covered. He's everything that 
He's everything that you will ever need. In 1 John 4, 7, it says here, By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. In verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. Now, <clears throat> through my years of evangelism and as the pastor, I cannot tell you how many people are afraid of the judgment. They're concerned about the judgment. Because somehow they don't like who they really are. And they look at this Christian life as being a struggle. Um, and, and, and they come to certain, certain situations in their life where they just can't see where God is working in their life. Somehow they are a little bit disappointed in themselves. And yet God is not. God is not disappointed in you at all. Obedience to love is not an option. Love is the key to walking in the light. You will learn how to love God more and more. And as you do, you will be able to love others. Last night I was getting ready to go to a farmer, a friend of mine, and he, they have Thanksgiving late, and sometimes they have it early. <laughs> and they, each year they invite me to come over. So I was getting ready to go, and then I received a phone call from out west, and this lady was crying on the phone, and she was telling me about some of the issues that she was going through, and uh, how disappointing her Thanksgiving was, and, uh, and all the trials and tribulations that come with family problems and issues. And so I was telling her that you know, it doesn't make any difference what our situation is, what our problem is, um, that God has made a commitment to us. And his commitment was that he would see us through almost anything, in fact, everything. And he would be with us and guide us and lead us in that decision. And I said to her, I said, you can write this down. And I said, and you can take it to the bank. I said, because you are in Christ, all things will work for you because you love God. Everything works out. It doesn't seem like it, but the promise is that it will. And so we just have to believe that it will. We just have to trust him, knowing that he loves us, knowing that he cares for us, he knows the situation, and he will cause it all to be for our good. You know, the big question is, do I believe it? And we face that every day. Do we really believe it? I've had people ask me, if I don't like someone, does that mean that I'm not a Christian? I would say, heavens, no. There are always some kind of, some people that are very hard to like. 
I says, but there's one thing that you, that you as a Christian must do. You must respect them. And when we make that choice to respect them, it's, it's interesting how it works. Because once we make that choice, it seems like the strength comes to love them. Once we will agree to respect them. The oneness of the body of Christ is no better illustrated than in the Lord's Supper. God has given us this celebration to remind us that we are one in Christ with all believers. Today, being the first Sunday of the month, we will partake of the Lord's Supper. I feel that the Lord's Supper has been observed in such a way that it's hard to find the true meaning of it. It's not about you. The Lord's Supper is not about you. It has nothing to do with people looking deep within themselves for any unconfessed sins. It has absolutely nothing to do with that. It's not a time for the congregation to get introspective and start thinking about how they snapped at their wife or snapped at their husband or, or how they had some lustful thoughts or whatever. That's not the time for it. Jesus said, we are to celebrate the Lord's Supper in memory of him. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. It's not remembering your track record. That's not what it's all about. It's not about you. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. Now, shouldn't we know, here we are, we're children of God. We've come together to worship him. Shouldn't we really know that all of our sins have already been taken care of? All of our sins, past, present, and future. Before we can utter, when we sin, before we can utter a word, it's already been forgiven and forgotten. When, when the Lord Jesus Christ came into our life, he cleansed us. He cleaned us up. And the Holy Spirit is there to, to control us to counsel us. I mean, we are rock solid in Christ. And so, Jesus told us that we need to understand that we are forgiven. And this reminds me sometimes of the way communion is held today and it kind of reminds me of the Old Testament Jews when they traveled annually to the temple to have their sins forgiven, all their accumulated sins forgiven. We don't come to communion forget our sins forgiven. They have already are forgiven. We come to celebrate that they have already are forgiven. So either our sins are forever forgiven or we are still in our sins. So what is it? And there's, I mean, it's no wonder that so many believers see themselves as sinners. I had another person just this last week say to me, he said, well, 
I know that I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, I said, what is that talk? You are a saint who occasionally sins. You're not a sinner. You're a saint. And that's what the Bible calls you. 56 times in the New Testament, the Bible says that you are a saint. When are we going to believe it? What's it going to take for us to believe that we are rock solid with Christ? Now, I know that it gets confusing because if you go to a, a church, sometimes you'll, you'll have that experience of going in and they lower the lights and they, they sort of make an atmosphere of confession. But that's not what the communion's all about. The communion is to celebrate. And this idea of whether you're worthy, I just don't understand it. Here, you, here a person comes into the church door. They're there for a reason. They're a child of God. And yet we lead them to believe that they're not worthy. That makes absolutely no sense at all. We are worthy because we're his child. There's nothing that we can do to make us more worthy than we, we are. Confession won't do it. Apology won't do it. Nothing will do it. I mean, there's an explanation for the popular belief that there is of getting right with God and, and before the Lord's Supper. And let me read to you some of the things that I used to preach many years ago on communion. So I'll give you three verses, and then you can see where it all comes from. In 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11, 27 to 29. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Pretty serious stuff. And then the Bible says here, but a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And then it says here, For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. So you can take these three verses, and you can build a powerful sermon around them about confession, about getting right with God, um, and the, uh, the awesome, serious consequences about sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. But before we start to examine our track record, we better examine the context of the scripture. Remember, it's context, context, context. Just like in real estate, it's location, location, location. When it comes to the Bible, it's context, context, context. Now here, these verses are often repeated when it comes to the communion service. But what do they mean? Do they really mean what it seems to say? Well, let's find out what it means. In verse 18... The Bible says here, I hear, Paul is saying to this to the Corinthians, I hear that when you come together as a church, 
there are divisions among you. And to some extent, he says, I believe it. So he's gotten word that there was problems in Corinth. And then the Bible says here in verse 20, Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and the one is hungry, and the other is drunk. So now we're getting, we're getting a glimpse of what the issue really is. And then the Bible says, what? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I will not praise you. So, here's the problem. Some were getting drunk. And so it was real wine that they were drinking at communion. We serve out Welsh's grape juice, and so you won't get drunk. But they, were, they had really wine, real wine. And others were showing up early, and they were eating all the food. Now, the church at Corinth, what they did is they, they didn't meet in a church building, so they met at homes. And they prepared a multi-course meal, and then after the meal, they had communion. And so they would drink real wine, and some would get real drunk. And Paul was warning about that. And then others would show up early and eat all the food, not leaving anything for the poor. And those were the people who really needed it. Paul says, one remains hungry, the other gets drunk. They were using the bread or the wine to re... They were not. I should say they were not using the bread and the wine thinking about Jesus Christ and his crucifixion. They were eating and drinking they were involved in gluttony and drunkenness. And so the Bible says in verse 33, So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. This is the key. Wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I will arrange when I come. So what is about this judgment? What does the Bible mean when it talks about this judgment? They were judging each other. It has nothing to do with the judgment bar of God. They were simply judging each other, and that was the source of their division. Notice what the Bible says about the judgment. In John 3.18, he who believes in him is not judged. Christians are not judged. That's not what the Bible... I mean, the Bible is very clear when it says that when you are born again, you have already passed through the judgment. And so here it says, he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So it's quite plain. 
Then what about this idea about examining ourselves? The Bible is, is very clear on that. They were to examine the way that they were doing communion. It wasn't there that they were to examine their life. It was simply examining what they were doing at communion. Gluttony and drunkenness. And they need to look at that and they need to examine themselves for it. Here at Grace Bible, the Lord's Supper is a celebration in remembrance of, of the work of Jesus Christ. It's not about us. It's about Jesus Christ. It was never intended to be about us. It was never intended for people to count their sins one by one and then ask God to forgive them. We live in a forgiven state. All born-again Christians live in a forgiven state. No more than you can utter anything out of your mouth. Your sin has been forgiven and forgotten. Now, <clears throat> when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. Well, what about that? Do you believe that it's finished? That he paid the penalty for all sin? That we are a forgiven people? God remembers our sins no more? We have grace and mercy. We live in that. We breathe in that. We have grace and mercy until he returns. It's a celebration of what Jesus has done and the unity that we share in him. I believe, my personal belief is, that God's will is for all Christians to manifest their unity at the Lord's Supper and to love each other. Whether you're a Baptist, whether you're a Presbyterian, whether you're a Methodist, it doesn't make any difference. We are all united in Christ. Yes, we teach differently. And sometimes we sort of wonder about things. I, re I remember that I heard a, a preacher, he, he was talking about somebody knocking on his door. It was the Jehovah Witnesses. And he was, he was telling him what he did. I mean, as if he was proud of himself for treating them badly. We should never treat anybody badly. No matter what religion you are, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you've been born again, they are part of the family of God. When you said yes to Christ, your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And it cannot be erased. It's there forever. You are a child of the living God. And so we come to communion to celebrate that. That's why we do it. We celebrate the power and the love of Jesus Christ. What he did for us, what he's doing in us, and what he's doing through us. That's what we celebrate. The Lord's Supper is God's expression of love to you. It is your expression of your love to him and to the body of believers. 
Thanks again for listening to this message from Grace Bible Fellowship in Front Royal, Virginia. If you'd like more information about our church, please go to www.gracebiblefellowshipchurch.org.